The Healthy High podcast has been designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. While the show is hosted by medical professionals, you should always consult your physician when it comes to your personal health or before you start any treatments. Hey, 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 everybody. My name is Ashley Smith, and I am the host of The Healthy High podcast. In this final episode of this four-part series I'm calling Addressing Our Traumas for Mental Health Awareness Month, I have my dear friend with me to discuss how her childhood trauma manifested in her adult life and what she's currently doing to cope and deal with her trauma. So sit back, relax, and let's jump right on in. All right, guys. So today I have a special guest. She is one of my very close friends, actually. Actually, the godmother of my twin boys. So she is a former tax accountant turned motivational speaker. In 2018, she revealed to the world that her mother, who suffers from mental illness, was missing for 21 years. She has now turned her pain into purpose by becoming a motivational speaker as well as a mental health advocate. She is here to show you life isn't determined by the cards you are dealt, but how you play your hand. Welcome to the show, Carla. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. So how long have we known each other now? Okay, oh, let God. me see. Let me see. Okay, it's been so forever. I would have to say, hmm, I would say like 15 years. Yeah, it's been about that long. 15, maybe even 16. Because I met my I, husband in 2006, and I knew you before then. 2005, most likely. I think you were like a senior in high school. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. crazy. So we have been, and what's crazy is we weren't like, friends we didn't meet each other just like off the street right so like I went to school with her cousin yeah I was at her cousin's house studying because you know nurses we always got to mm-hmm. study somewhere I was at her cousin's house studying and I met her that way and we have been like kind of sort of like really cool and almost a little bit inseparable like you know yes waves waves of, <laughs> of times where we kind of been inseparable and now 15 16 years later we're still friends, and she's the godmother to my twin boys. So thank, thank you so you. much for coming on the show. So I invited you on the show because of, you know, we're doing this whole mental health thing for this month. And I thought it was cool to bring on someone who has experienced trauma and learned how to um, cope and live and, you know, and deal with the trauma in her life. And that's actually changed the negative trauma into positive things. So ready to get started yes okay so I guess my first question is what is the most life-changing trauma that you have faced in your life all right the most life-changing trauma is um you know as you mentioned in my bio um, my mother was missing for 21 years so um in 1997 um that's the year that um I graduated from eighth grade um, I came home from work one day and I was lucky enough to, you know, get a, you know, after, you know, school job that, you know, I graduated from, I was a 
teacher's assistant. I came home one day and all our furniture was in the front yard. Everything in our house was just like thrown in the front. And um, I had to make a decision, you know, um, I walked in the house, you know, all the locks were taken off of the doors and I was, you know, I was angry. I was sad. And, you know, I told my, I asked my mother, like, you know, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, the sheriff came and, you know, we lost the house. And I said, so what are we, what are you going to do right now? And she said, well, I'm going to continue living here. I said, well, I don't feel comfortable in a house that doesn't have locks. You know, anybody could, you know, come in. At, come at in, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, that day, I went back to my school and I told the principal that, you know what, um, I've been keeping this inside for a very long time. Um, my mother is mentally and physically abusive and she can't take care of me. You know, we just lost our house. And, you know, she told me, I said, Carla, you know that I'm going to have to tell the authorities now. I said, do what you must. Right. And, um, you know. I told her, I said, just don't tell them that I said it because if my mother found out that I said something, you know, she'll kill me. Right. That's how bad her mental state was. So that was, you know, my life changing, you know, trauma. And it took me 21 years after that, you know, when that happened, I stayed with one of my friends from school for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, it was hard. You know, every day I went to work, I would make sure I visit my mom and everything. But, you know, she just wasn't right. She wasn't right. And so uh, what age was that? Because eighth grade is what? That's like what? 14. 14. I was 14. 14 so I turned 14 that year. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you say that she was mentally and physically abusive, you want to jump into that a little sure, bit? Like sure. what those experiences were like? Um, mentally, um, sometimes like I remember, I, I believe I was in seventh or eighth grade. I went to school with a black eye. I was still getting black eyes and I'm like, I'm too, be, I'm too old to get, be getting black eyes. My first black eye was, I was like at least seven years old. Wow. And, you know, she was, you know, she was physically abusive and, um, she just wasn't right. Um, at 12 years old, I, you know. I grew up with my mother like this. Right. You know, I never knew that she had a mental illness until, you know, my grandmother's, you know, best friend told me like, you know, I know I started to notice some things and I went to her and I, you know, I called Miss Mary, like what's going on? She's like, your mother has a problem. And you know what? I think it's time that I tell you what's going on with her. And she said, your mother has a mental illness and she's had this since you were born. And I said, so nobody thought about telling me this. Right. Well, maybe so, they just felt that you were kind of young. You wouldn't understand, you know, things like that. So in your mind, what were you thinking before you found out she had a mental illness? What were you thinking? You just thought that this is just the way things are supposed to be. Like, this is how the relationship is supposed to be. This is normal. I thought it was normal. I thought it was normal when she was talking to herself. But, you know, when she was talking to herself early in the morning I'm sleeping and this woman is waking up at six or seven o'clock in the morning and talking to herself and I just was like okay whatever but you know over time you know the decisions that that's when I was like something is wrong with her you know she wasn't yeah. working you know and she's a RN my mom had wow. a master's and everything and this lady always worked she always had a job and then 
for, for it was a couple of years, like my mom is not working. And I was like, something is wrong. Do you mind disclosing what her mental illness was? What well, is? you know, I never, it was never disclosed to me. That's the thing. It was mm. never disclosed to me. Even to this day, you know, when I do visit my mom in Chicago, you know, I would ask, you know, where she's at, like, okay, what's, what's her, you know, diagnosis? And they said, we cannot tell you that information. Um, I guess because of HIPAA laws, even though I'm her daughter. Right, right. Wow. Okay, so when did you realize that this traumatic event was, like, affecting your life? I realized that I would say, um, I would say the end of 2017. Wow, so that's recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what um, happened in that moment that made you realize that? Well, I lost my job that year, and it's not like I haven't lost a job before, but this time it hit different. Right. Um, I was not happy in my career. I actually never was. Um, I did tax accounting, and I worked for the most prestigious firms in the United States. And I only went into that field so I could get, like, you know, approval, acceptance from my family. Right. So um, when I... I said, man, I'm tired of this. And I was just like going back and forth. You know, my hours, you know, I was working 80 to 100 yes, hours a week. Crazy. Crazy. It was no crazy. overtime. No overtime. Yeah. So I was basically a volunteer after 40 hours. It was done. Crazy. And it was just, I was tired. And it's like, I'm doing the same thing over and over again. And nothing is happening. And, you know, I was a failure. I felt like I was a public success but you know my private life I was a failure you know nothing was right. really getting done and um like you know I talk about this too like I was so stressed that after work I would go to the local bar by my house it was a nightclub bar whatever and that was like my safe haven and you know when I lost my job in 2017 I had time to sit down and reflect and say, you know what, Carly, you need to make some changes. Um, I almost took my life that year too. Nobody knows that, but yes, it was, it was coming. It was coming. You know, yeah. I was out of work and I didn't, I know I didn't want to go back into accounting. That's the thing. I, I made that decision. I said, I can't go back into accounting. I have to do something else because, you know, I'm not happy with my life. I'm not happy with my career and I have to do something different. So I was out of work for like at least like six to seven months. And, um, you know, I got a job in January of 2018 and it paid me so little. <laughs> yeah. It paid me so little. So I had time. I, you know, I was complaining each and every day I went to work. I'm like, this is not even paying the bills. This is not doing anything for me. I'm like, I have two degrees. I was about to say, and mind you, you definitely had a, what did you have, a bachelor's in accounting? I had a bachelor's in business finance management, and I had a bachelor's in accounting. So I was, I'm going to be real with you. I was making less than 50 grand a year. Yeah, that's crazy. So if you think about it, how do you feel like that traumatic, I mean, that 
you like having that situation with your mom when you were in eighth grade, how did that situation maybe bring you to this moment now in 2017 or early 2018 where you were feeling like suicidal or not feeling altogether, feeling unhappy, feeling miserable? Well, I felt like a failure and, um, I started listening to um, my cousin put me on to Michael Todd, um, Pastor Michael Todd, and I started listening to Damaged Goods, okay? Mm -hmm. So I would listen to him while I was at work because I didn't have a lot of work. So I had a lot of time to think about, you know, things life and what was, I said, you know, maybe God is trying to do something within me. And had he not given me that job where, you know, I wasn't getting paid that much. I would have never changed. It gave me time to reflect, you know, take yeah. some accountability and say, you know what? I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of trauma from my childhood that's never been addressed. Right. Shout out to Transformation Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes. I, we don't live in Tulsa, but <laughs> they do live stream every Sunday. Shout out to Pastor Michael Todd. Yes. I, I, um, how I stumbled across Pastor Michael Todd, this is like a side, side note. I stumbled <laughs> across him through his relationship series. It went like viral on, um, I think YouTube or something. And then when I listened to that, it was so good with him and his wife, Pastor Natalie Todd. Mm -hmm. uh, it was so good that I decided to like see what this man was all about. And then I got into his series called, um, damn, what was it? Crazy Faith. Faith. And from and it was then. Mm-hmm. From then it was over. So anybody looking for a pastor, that's a good one. Live streaming every Sunday. You don't gotta go to Oklahoma. It, it's it's really good. Anyway, back back to you know <laughs> the topic at hand. So how did trauma manifest itself in your life? Like what were you seeing from this? What trauma? was I seeing? I saw it in my career. Um, I saw it in my relationship, you know, with friends you know, people that I was, you know, dating, um, family. Mm -hmm. So I believe I would say this, I had trauma since I was in the womb. Yes. Since I was in the womb mm -hmm. and I, I dealt with a lot of rejection too. I have to say that, um, it's just like, you know, I was always seeking acceptance and, mm -hmm. um, especially with my family. Right. So looking back at it now, like looking back at your life earlier on, knowing you to where you are at now, um, I think some of the ways trauma manifested in you was in your health. I definitely think it manifested in like you drinking. Cause I mean, we both used to yeah. get to the head. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> But now that I see you on the other side and I see you so much differently, I think that definitely your traumatic, you were coping with your traumatic experience with mm -hmm. maybe how you were eating, how you were taking care of yourself and, mm -hmm. you, and, and the people that you were associating yourself with. Definitely. At one point. Yeah. So how did you learn to cope with your trauma? Oh, how did I learn to cope? 
I would say, you know, having a relationship with God, having a deep relationship with God. I started reading my Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, I started listening to a lot of pastors, um, motivational speakers. And you know what? I realized that I have purpose. Right. So, you know, and of course, I had to change my environment because you know Mm -hmm. that I was always at that spot by my house way too much. And that's something that definitely needed to change. And I had to change the people that I associated myself with because, you know, a lot of times we form friendships out of proximity, meaning that, you know what, we we all hang out at the same place. So we automatically become friends. Right. some of the people in here, they weren't really my friends. Right, right. So, but maybe you were drawn to them because of, you know, of the potentially the relationship you had with your mother was a little toxic. So very it could true. be that, you know, you drew to other toxic relationships because that was comfortable for you because of the traumatic, you know, events that you did go through. What's crazy is last or two weeks ago, I did an episode with a young lady called Krisha Holcomb. Shout out to her at Therapy is Light. She's a bomb.com. Nice. But she talked about um, the fact that one of the traumas that women go through, she named three top ones that women go through that they talked to her about. One of them were, was their relationship with their mother. And how that affects them in their life and how it manifests, you know, issues within their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously your relationship with your mom wasn't that great. So she was right on the money. The relationship with your mom definitely affected your life and still I'm sure the you know potentially affect your life now. But now you're more conscious, you're more aware. So, you Mm -hmm. know you know, what to do. Did you seek therapy at all to help you learn to unpack this trauma and heal from it and deal with it? Yes, I did. Um, Actually, I was in therapy. I was in, you know, counseling, I believe like five or six years ago. And um, I'll be honest with you. um, It didn't help. Um, I thought I was actually healing, but um, I was actually under medication and uh, they wanted um, to medicate you exactly and it didn't work for me personally it did not work for me and I, I just I just needed a voice so what what if you don't mind sharing why did they want to medicate you did they diagnose you with any any yes. mental illness they diagnosed what? me with depression they diagnosed me with depression but you know that wasn't really helping me um, because, you know, it seems like every time I went back for my visits, like, you know, every two weeks, I had a different counselor. And it's like, man, I got to explain my story again. Like, really? Yeah. And I just, you know, even when I was on the medication, I had no feelings whatsoever. It's like my feelings were suppressed and I was not sure how to feel. So it's like, if you tell me that you want to kill yourself or you want to jump off the bridge, I don't care. I'm like, okay, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. 
Yeah, I mean, I think therapy, finding a good therapist is like definitely you. You definitely got to shop kiss, around. You got to shop. Yeah, you definitely have to shop around until you find one that you really. And I think that that's why people. That's one of the reasons people give up on therapy because they don't. They a lot. A lot of the time, especially like our generation and younger, we are living in like a I call it like a microwave society where we kind of want things now and when we don't see results and get the things that we want right now we then mm-hmm. go to something else but with therapy you really have to be patient you have to really seek out someone that's helpful for you and that's willing to hear you out and work with you and not quick to shove mm-hmm. medication down your throat because it's not always necessary I'm not there, saying that it's, it's not, not necessary sometimes but medication is not always necessary you know what it's I mean not- yeah. And a lot of these medications, they have some serious so side, side effects, effects that, you know, you, you hear these commercials. Oh, are you feeling blue? Or you start this medication. And then at the end of it, they are like sl- telling you so much different side effects on the low low that they think it maybe you're not going to catch. And it's like it's longer. All the side effects is longer than the damn commercial itself. So. It is. I noticed um, this morning when I woke up, I woke up to a commercial <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. <laughs> it has over like five side effects. Yeah, I'm sure it has a million more. <laughs> I'm and sure. Like, but you should take this. Yeah. And the woman looked like a zombie. I said, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, no judgment for those who are taking meds and it's working. No judgment. But what I will say, and like I always say as a nurse, you, your goal ultimately should never be to be on medication for the rest of your life. Your life. I think, um, you know, a lot of mental, there are some mental health problems that exist that need, you need the medication and I will not deny that, but mm-hmm. I think you should definitely try to implement a change in your diet because there is some connection with your gut health and Absolutely. your mental health before you say to yourself, okay, I'm, I'm okay. I'm content with being on this medication for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, okay. So within your learning to deal with your trauma, you have birthed an organization called Rue. Right. So yes. what does RUE stand for and what is your organization organization all about? Well, RUE stands for Real Empathetic Wellness. So okay. real, you want to be real and authentic about yourself. Like, you know, this is what's going on with me. You know, whether you suffer from depression, um, you have bipolar disorder, you're, you know, schizophrenic and, you know, just being real. Like, this is what's going on with me. Um, empathetic. I try, I try to always put myself in someone else's shoes because you have no idea what people are going through. Right. Right. And wellness, like you said before, your gut health and your mental health, they do, you know, tie together. So, um, I think you need to be healthy mind, body, soul, and spirit. Right, right. That's holistic. That's holistic talk right there. Yes. <laughs> so what what is the organization all about? The organization about is all about like, you know, bringing awareness, um, just addressing issues um, in the community, because 
to be honest with you, there's a lot of issues that we don't address. You know, we're told mm-hmm. to just go to school, get your degrees, and everything will come into place. But we never talk about the mental health. Because the thing about it is, you could be successful in your career, but when it comes to your personal life, you're a mess. Right, right. That's happens to so much people. Even look at these celebrities that have, you know, committed suicide Kate and Spade. that nature, right? They're rich. They have all this money and people think you have all this money. You're in your career. You're in the height of your career. Everything's perfect. But in your personal life or in your mental space, if things are not right, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't even matter. So especially with African-Americans, I think we are so scared to talk about mental health and by right, because there's a history of um, us being placed under this whole mental health, making it seem like mental health is such a horrible thing to Mm -hmm. address it throughout our history. It's been that way. So, I mean, by right, but we have got to learn to change that stigma and talk about it more. And that's why I said to myself for the month of May, For sure. I am definitely honing in on mental health because it's something that I feel like we need to normalize. We need to normalize everybody in the household getting therapy and not think, not think to themselves like, oh my God, I'm crazy because Mm -hmm. I'm getting mental health services or I'm seeing a therapist. It is very, everybody needs an outlet or someone that they can talk to and vent to about some of the things that they're experiencing, some of the things that they're feeling. And Mm -hmm. everyone needs to know that that's okay. As a matter of fact, let's not say that that's okay. Let's say that that's the new normal. That's what you need to do. That like Just like you need to get up in the morning and brush your teeth, you need to have a therapist or someone that you feel comfortable with talking to about issues that you may be experiencing and just like an outlet for mm-hmm. for you to you know someone address on the them. outside someone on down and you know talk about things because i always say this there's a lot of us ho- holding on to family secrets a lot yeah. of you know trauma that happened to us in our childhood and we never spoke about it right so. yeah and even if it's not a therapist um, what I find too is, especially when we're talking about like police brutality and stuff in, in this mm-hmm. world, um, even if you have like a circle of friends that you can vent to, that can relate to how you're feeling, um, it's also a nice way to deal with some of the issues. Now, you may not want to get advice from your friends if they're not therapists per se, but you need an outlet. You need a group of an people outlet. or someone in, specifically that you can talk to for sure. So what is the biggest piece of advice that you would give to African-Americans about addressing their trauma? Stop waiting on it's too late until it's too late. Stop saying you're going to do it tomorrow and don't do it. Stop saying, stop delaying your plans. Because a lot of us, we say we're going to actually, we're going to seek therapy or we're going to do this and that. And we never, we never do it. So stop stop procrastinating basically yeah procrastination is a real thing honey because I am a procrastinator to almost everything because my life is so busy I have mm-hmm. to keep myself on a schedule and I don't do things until I know I have to do it but you superwoman like, though you get it done though thank you I'm happy to hear you say that <laughs> but- <laughs> 
<laughs> but I, I am a procrastinator. I really, really do not get things done until it's like, okay, this is due tomorrow. I got I have to sit down and do it because there's so much different things going on in my life. So no procrastination, guys. Try your best not to, especially when it comes to your mental health, because these things eat you up inside, especially trauma. It will eat you up inside and it will start manifesting as like a bad attitude. Nobody or will want to deal with you or disease, right? Because high amounts of stress, you get mm-hmm. heart disease and all different types of things. So don't procrastinate with your mental health and addressing your trauma. That was good advice. Yes. Um, how has your life changed for you now that you have acknowledged and work on your healing? Well, you know, I have to say, um, when I found my mother in 2018, that was the biggest thrill. So wait, wait, wait. Let's let's pause for one second. Yeah. You didn't see your mom for how many like how I, when you say she was lost like how do you know she was lost and like when was the last time you seen her versus now bringing it forward to when you found her like how did that go well 1997 um remember i was telling you that um you know we lost our house and right we was still living in that house i was staying at my friend's house and um you know one day um, it was like like five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning. The police came to my friend's house and they told me that I had to, you know, you got to go. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? Right. And they told me to pack up all my belongings. So I got in the car and they drove to my mother's house. And I told the police officer, I said, you make sure that you put her in that other car in back of us because she might try to kill me. Right. So, you know, when that happened, that was the last time I saw my mother. So I believe it was like June or July of 1997. That was the last time I saw my mother. She lost custody of me. And, you know, during that time, you know, I heard stories. She was staying with my uncle and then she left. She was here and there. And after a while, I I never knew where she was. So when she lost custody of you, Mm-hmm. Who had custody of you? Like, where did you go? My mom's, my mom's cousins. They had custody of me. They got custody of me because that day when the police, you know, came and got me, they took me to the precinct. And at the precinct was my mom's um, cousin and his wife. Okay. And they got me. Okay. And then, so that was the last time you seen her. Did you ever inquire about her? Did you talk to anybody in your family about her between that time and then when you actually found her again? Well, I've always, you know, I was looking for, I was young, you know, I was a teenager and nobody knew, knew where she was. Nobody knew. And, you know, I said to myself, you know, once I finished college and everything and I have some money that I'm going to go look for her because I had no means. I didn't, I didn't know how, where to start. Right. And, you know, I was, you know, I jumped from house to house. I was living with my mom's cousin, you know, cousin and his family. And then I was living with my uncle. And then I came to New York. I was living with my father's, you know, my aunt, I was living mm-hmm. with my aunt. So mm-hmm. I just jumped from house to house to house. So yeah. there was no way that I could really, you know, take care of my mom when I didn't have anything for myself so um I started really looking for my mom I would say hard like in 2014 I was looking for for her you know I was looking for her before but I I wasn't finding her 
Right. So 2014, I went to Chicago. Um, I went to a couple of, you know, federal offices in um, downtown Chicago. I went to lawyers. I went to precincts, everything. Um, I actually um, went to this office where you could, you know, see if there's like any death reports or anything like that. Paid for that. Nothing. Nobody could find anything on her. And it just got really discouraging after a while because I'm like, okay, where is this woman? She's not dead. So I'm like, where is she? And um, 2018, Um, is the year when I decided to make that major change in my life. And, you know, once I changed my, you know, like I said, my environments, uh, my associations, um, January, I believe January 2018 was when I changed and I found her in November 2018. Um, I put out a story on Facebook and Instagram saying, you know, I just poured my heart and soul out because I was like, I got to find my mom. That's the that's the missing piece right there. Right. And um, I put out a story and I found her a week later. Who gave you the nudge nudge? The nudge nudge, what, the information about my mom? Yeah. Was it somebody that you knew or somebody that was like random? You don't have to like disclose. Random. It was a random random person? person? Yeah, it was a random person that saw my story. That is crazy. And did the person say they, they... They knew her. They no, they didn't say anything. They just gave me the address, and you know what happened was okay. I got the information, and I was at work at the time, so I had you know I had my cousin call, and she was like, "She's there. She's there. She's there." I was like, "What? She's there?" And my mother called me within five minutes, and she said, "Who is this?" I said, "It's your daughter." She's like, "Who?" She's like, "You know where to find me at." I said, you know, it's not that easy. I'm going to have to take a flight. She said, go do that. Go do that. I said, okay, bet. So did you, with with knowing in your mind or in, in your feelings, because I'm you, like, as you talk to me now, everything is still so clear to you, right? You remember years and everything. And that's kind of what trauma will do to you. It mm-hmm. like when you, you will always remember it and remember the feelings associated with it. Mm-hmm. But when she was missing, was there a part of you that felt like, I don't even care. This lady was abusing me or like, I'm not really even that interested in knowing where she is is or were you always like no I need to find my mom and if that was your feeling what made you feel that way um I would say you know I tried to act like I didn't care I tried because yeah she was you know she was physically mentally you know verbally abusive towards me and I actually didn't know where to start I never knew where to start And I didn't have any help. I had no help. And no, I miss that lady every day. I ain't gonna lie to you. I missed her every day. I always wondered if she was alive, if she was good. I always thought about her. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I don't have the means. I don't know where to start. Yeah. It, was, it was very hard because, you know, of course, you have the HIPAA laws. And that's why I couldn't find her. Right. So now we fast forward to you jumping on a flight, 
going to see your mom for the first time in how many years? 21 years. In 21 years. How did that feel? How did that go? Um, I have to be honest. Like, I made sure I had my best friend on that. She, she's like, I'm coming. I'm coming. Because I was going to do it by myself. Right. I'm so used to doing everything by myself. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And, you know, she went with me and we drove there. I say, yo, you know, the streets of Chicago, you've never been here before, but you're <laughs> driving like, you know, these streets, you know, this highway. And cause at first I was like, I'll drive. She's like, no, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We need to get there fast. <laughs> we need to get there fast. And she knew it's like she drove like she knew the streets. And when we got there, we said a prayer before we went into the building. And when my mother, I told them, I was at the desk. I said, I'm here. She's like, you're her daughter. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to her floor. They escorted me to her floor, to our apartment. She opened the door. And... (laughs) I remember what she said because I ain't combed my hair today. I had a wig on with my baseball cap and stuff. And she opened the door and she said, you're not my daughter. And that really hurt me. She's like, you're not my daughter. You know, my daughter doesn't wear wigs. I said, wow, you still the same. My mother is like, she'll tell you like it is. She's bold. Yeah. That never changed. So when mm-hmm. she opened the door, she was expecting to see that 14. Yeah. Yeah. That little girl. The person that she seen you last. How she seen you last. Exactly. Yeah. So when she opened the door, she was rude. She was very rude. And I was crying. You know, I thank God my, my best friend was there with me. Right. And um, it was it was hard. But then I was like, you know what? I cried for like five minutes. And I was like, you know what? I'm strong. I can do this. I can right. do this. So shit, you done been you. through all the crap you done been through. <laughs> For real. Well, not crap, but I'm just saying, like all that shit that you've been through. Lord. <laughs> I say, she said, I'm gonna meet you in the pad, you know, the pantry area. I said, okay, cool. So we sat down, we talked, and she said, I'm not her daughter. She kept she kept saying it, and but when she walked away from me. She was crying. And one thing my mother never, you never ever see her cry, ever. She was crying because she knew it was me. Mm-hmm. But because she had buried so much in her past. And, you know, that was that was a real, you know, 97 when she lost me, she buried that. Right. You know, right. she didn't want to relive that again. So she's like, I'm going to forget about the past. So when she saw me, she was she was rejecting me, but she knew who I was. So now a couple of years later, how is the relationship with you and your mom? Have you been back to see her again? Yes. Do you guys keep in contact? Like what's going on now? Well, she's when she sees me, she gives me a hug now. Okay. She's really happy to see me. And, you know, that first time it just kind of threw her in shock. Yeah, yeah. So it's better now. Right. Do you guys keep in contact regularly? Do you talk on the phone? Not really. Only when I show up. I think she likes to see me in person. It's better that she sees me in person. Person. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, let me tell you, as your friend for a very long time, I have to tell you that I am super duper proud of you. Thank you, bro. And I admire your strength and resilience. And I, this interview was enlightening for me because there are some things that I didn't even know uh, that you revealed. So I thank you and I thank you for being vulnerable to the world because this can really reach anybody. I have uh, listeners in Romania, girl. Okay. Oh, excuse me. That's what's up. (laughs) So (laughs) I appreciate you for being vulnerable and coming on and sharing your story because I think, again, it's important for us to realize that we have trauma, whether it's known or unknown, whether it's visible or mm-hmm. invisible, whether it's blatant or not, we have trauma within our community and we have to start talking mm-hmm. about it and Absolutely. normalizing it and making people feel comfortable and letting them know it's not just you. It is not just you. You are not alone. And there's so many groups and and things and people that's around that can help you and facilitate, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your healing, including, you know, Rue. You know what I yes. mean? So just real quick before we go, Rue does Zoom meetings, right, to yes. discuss different mental health issues. How often are you guys doing Zoom meetings? Well, before it was like, you know, bi-weekly. Now I'm doing it every week. Okay. So here's a foundation that you can utilize for any of your mental health issues. So Carla, you want to give us your uh, Instagram handle? Yes. So my Instagram handle is um, Rue Foundation. Rue, I believe it's Rue underscore foundation. And I also have a Facebook group, group. So, all right. So I'm going to uh, put all that information in the description box. So hit her up, follow her, join her Zooms. Carla, I thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Remember, guys, your health is most definitely your wealth. Peace out.